Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Hey everyone. Glad to be able to welcome you here this morning, and it's great to see all of your faces. And I want to also welcome everyone who's joining us online. I uh, <clears throat> uh, wanted to say real quick that uh, this Wednesday we're having, uh, we're hosting the FCA lunch at the high school. And so I'm going to buy cookies, but if you would like to make some cookies and bring them up here by at least 11 a.m. on Wednesday, I will actually... You probably need to tell me first, but if they're here by, you know, 10-ish on Wednesday, then I'll buy only what we need. But if we have enough cookies, I won't have to buy any. So if you're someone who likes to make a couple dozen cookies and then tell your husband these aren't for you, these are for the church, uh, that's the experience of my growing up. Mom, that looks great. Oh, that's not for you. That's for somebody else. Um, If you'd like to do that, I'd really appreciate it. I want you to think about for just a second. I want you to think about if you are currently employed or if you have had a job at one point. I want you to think about that job. Stop and think for a second. This is my job currently. And now I want you to think, if if I were to ask you to list out all the traits that someone would need to do your job, you could probably think of quite a few things. Like, you probably need to be able to do this and this. It would be good to be able to do this. But there is something that if I were to say, you were interviewing a person to, to fill your job position. What is something that you would say, they have to have this? They better be able to do blank. And so let me give you an example. I asked Catherine this question. She's a nurse. She thought about it. Um, and she said, well, I think they need to have compassion and in order to be a nurse. And I thought, that's a good comment. And then, and then I asked her, I said, are there any nurses you know that are not compassionate? And she was like, hmm, yes. So that maybe doesn't count then. And she said, to be a good nurse, you need to be compassionate. But I guess technically, if you were someone who was really good at um, what she said was like problem solving in kind of dire situations, you know, you got to be quick on your feet. She's like, if you can do that and you have no combat compassion, you could still probably be a nurse. So you see what she did there? She said, like, this is probably the most core thing. But she would like... If you're going to be a nurse, she'd like for you to have some compassion. Uh, I asked a few other people this week uh, the question about their job. I asked a coach this week. I said, what would you say is the thing you have to be able to do? And they said, you have to have patience. You have to have patience with the students. You have to have patience with the parents. And you have to have a certain level of patience that part of your job is after one week of practice, this student, this player, is not going to be where they're going to be as a senior. You know, you have to be able to say, instead of like, oh, that's it. They're never going to be able to dribble. That's it. They're never going to be able to. No, you've got to have patience for what are we working towards by senior year, you know, if, if you're talking high school or college. I asked a, a project manager, I said, what, what's something for you? And they said, you have to be able to deal with confrontation between people. If you can't handle different people on your team not liking each other and working through that and still being able to be uh, handle that, and if you can't work through confrontation with your task and be adaptive to what the task needs, no project ever goes exactly by the book. I asked a realtor, I said, what, what do you think? If, if you wanted to be a realtor, you know, and 
there's all sorts of things that would probably be nice to be a realtor. Uh, you know, personable, this, this, and that. And the, the, what they said was, you need to be available. Because at any given time, you might need to show a house. You might need to answer a call to answer questions. And, and the more available you are, the more likely you're going to be successful as a realtor. So the reason I bring this up is I, I consider these things that it's like, with this job that you have or people have, there are lots of important things, good things. But there are certain things that are central, foundational. And if you were to ask the early church leaders, if you were to ask Christ, what is something that you need to have or you need to be doing to be a part of the family of God, to be pursuing God's will, to be a follower of Christ, a disciple, he's probably going to say one thing, number one. He's probably going to say, you better be able to love people. We're not talking about that this morning, but another thing that he's probably going to say, ooh, oh, uh, I'll come back to that. Another thing he's probably going to say is he is going to say that you better be able to be someone very top of the list, very close to the top, who is intimately involved in prayer. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to look at passages in the New Testament that help us see just how central prayer is to what it is to be a follower of Christ. I meant to say this at the beginning. Neighborhood Clifton, Saturday, Sunday, April 30th. I hope you're saving the date. What can you be doing to help? There are three things. You can sign up as a volunteer. The website is updated, neighborhoodclifton.com. Or you can get a form if you'd like a paper form from me. We also really, really need your help finding people who need work done at their house. If you have a neighbor, or you yourself, know this, my neighbor, they have a porch that is broken, and every time I see them walk to their front door, I'm worried that they're going to fall and hurt themselves. They don't have hand railings, and they need hand railings. Anything like that, please ask them if they can be a work project. And then the last thing is, last year when we did this, we had a lot of cushion in our Ministerial Alliance Benevolence account, and now we don't. And so if you would be someone who'd be willing to donate funds to this, we're trying to raise. We're trying, last year it cost us about $4,000 to do Neighborhood Clifton. So we're hoping to raise $7,000 so that A, we can do more this year, and B, all the extra can go to helping our benevolence account, which we use daily for electrical bills, for people paying rent. It's, uh, it's a lot. So, okay, sorry, go back to Jesus, back to uh, what we're talking about, um, but I wanted to say that. So let's look, beginning in a passage that some of you may have never read before, but uh, let's read it together. In Acts 2, if you want to go to your Bible... Acts 2, starting in verse 42, Luke writes, The Christians, these early followers of Jesus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And here we see what you might say Luke calls the four pillars of a early followers of Jesus. If you keep reading a little bit more, he talks too about giving generously like a family would. So you might even say that to Luke... The treating each other like a family is also a pillar, and also the generous giving is maybe. So you might even say there's six pillars. But here in this verse, we get four very crucial pillars. And these four, in my opinion, these four, they go together. You cannot separate them. You can't take one of these four out without it affecting all of them. We're not going to talk about all four, but it's worth saying that part of what it means to be the family of Jesus, to be following Jesus, is to be devoted to the teachings of the apostles. Um, I don't think you should get caught up so much necessarily on the New Testament specifically, but more on the message of the apostles, which is Jesus Christ is Lord, the message, uh, to fellowshipping together, to breaking bread together. 
and to prayer. And I think that this word devoted that we see here, it's a strong word. When you hear devoted, devoted is not something that's light. You know, when I hear, think of devoted, I think of Olivia Newton-John's Hopelessly Devoted from uh, the movie Grease. But uh, if I were to say to somebody, um, like, I am devoted to you, that would be firm. That would be pretty aggressive, right? You know, you know go on a first date. Afterwards, how do you think that went? I am devoted to you. That would be like, wow, that, that person's really all in. And so we see this, this devotion, though. I love this word here because if I were to say to something like, I will devote my life to blank, that's a certain, like, you don't turn that off. You know, there's not like, well, at sometimes I'm devoted, at sometimes I'm not, at sometimes I'm interested. The term devoted is a very relentless effort, a relentless focus, attention. I will give you my attention. And I, I think that this is something that uh, we have to keep in mind, that Paul doesn't just say, these people, they loved the teaching of the Word of God that they heard from the apostles about Jesus. They loved to get together. They loved the breaking of bread. They really enjoyed prayer. No, it was they were devoted to these things. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 22, um, we have Paul writing, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. The reason why I listed it out to you like this instead of the way we ha normally have in the text is if you were to read the Greek, which I can't do, but the book I read this week told me this, um, that each of these phrases starts with the same Greek letter. It's the letter pi. And so it starts with a P sound. So it's almost like Paul is purposefully, like a preacher does, using alliteration to say, but in English that doesn't come across that way. You know, does that make sense? But in, if you were reading it in Greek, it would be this point, this point, this point. And it's not some long, drawn-out... He doesn't, he doesn't go, rejoice always. And here's what I mean by rejoice always. Here's what... No, he just says very, like, one after the other. Part of what it means to be following Jesus are these just... Everybody's got to have these core pillars. You need to be people that are rejoicing always, praying continually, so on and so forth. Now, I, I do want to say that some of our translations or some of how we've grown up is instead of it saying pray continually, you've seen the phrase pray without ceasing, right? And that's something that I think a lot of people have been very curious about that. What does that mean? I think that's a fair question. You know, if, uh, does that mean that we, you know, let, when I say let's pray, should we all go, well, I've been praying. You know, we're not starting. And whenever I say amen, it's like, but we're not done yet. You know, I, you, people get caught up in it. And when we like to talk about this, I do think that there is something uh, very uh, non-literal about this in some ways. Like he means just your whole life, you should be communing with God. But I also think there's some literalness to it. And I'm going to use an analogy to explain this that I, I hope you'll like. Uh, it'll end with a quote that I really like and I, I'd like you to chew on. But there's a book that was written in the 19th century in Russia that the author is anonymous. We have no idea who the author is. And so whenever you buy this book, it only will say translated by so-and-so into English. Uh, but we don't know who the author is. And it's the story. It's called The Way of the Pilgrim. It's the story of a man who has dedicated his life to wanting to learn what it means to pray without ceasing. So 
so all he does is search out people to teach him about prayer without ceasing and then is a, a pilgrim, a poor he owns nothing, has nothing. All he has is a copy of his Bible, and he's a pilgrim. And he travels through Ukraine, through Russia, through Siberia, wanting to learn what it means to pray without ceasing. And he, early in the book, he talks to a priest and says, what, what does this mean? How do I do this? And the priest says, well, on the first day, I want you to try and say the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Say it a thousand times. And then in a week, I want you to say and do that every day. And then in a week, say it 3,000 times a day. And then in, in the next week, say it 6,000 times a day. And you're probably all going like, this sounds ridiculous. You know, there's no way we could be doing this. But it's an interesting book. I think you should check it out. It's very interesting. Uh, I'll say this. While I was reading the book, I was just so aware of how available he was to see God at work around him because he was constantly praying. And I noticed as I was reading the book, I had more things come up in my life that I would normally brush off. But I was like, maybe this is God trying to do something. So I guess I'll pay attention to this. A guy came. I got a call from a guy who was at a hotel here. He needed a ride to Heiko. Sadly, I'm typically the kind of person that's like, hopefully I can find somebody else to give this guy a ride. And I thought, you know, maybe God's wanting me to have this car ride with this guy. Drove him to Heiko. He's like, actually, I meant I wanted to go to, is Stephenville further than Heiko, right? He was like, can you take me to Stephenville? I was like, oh, goodness. So anyway, but guess what? It was a good experience, and I was prepared for it because of my prayer. But let me read this quote to you from this book that is really good. It's, it's going to be a two-slider, so hang on. <clears throat> this is uh, him asking a priest, and the priest saying, let me tell you what continuous prayer looks like. You don't have to agree with all this. It's just interesting. The continuous inner prayer of Jesus is a constant, uninterrupted calling upon the divine name, divine name of Jesus with the lips, in the spirit, in the heart, while forming a mental picture of his constant presence and imploring his grace during every occupation at all times, in all places, even during sleep. Uh, yeah, let me keep going. This appeal is couched in these terms, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Here we go. I like this a lot. One who accustoms himself to this appeal experiences as a result so deep a consolation and so great a need to offer prayer. I love that line. It's like twofold. You're, not only are you going to feel consolation and, and relief, but you're also going to feel more desire to keep praying. That he can no longer live without prayer. And it will continue to voice itself within him of its own accord. Now do you understand with what prayer without ceasing is? Very interesting. If you want to talk more about that, come to Wednesday night class and let's chew on that idea. That somehow when we pray without ceasing more and more, we are not only filled, but we are also even more hungry to keep praying. Interesting concept. You could maybe say Jesus and God and love are like that. Uh, Tozer has a quote where he says, the paradox of love is to have found the love of Jesus and to also keep pursuing him. Because that's the craziest paradox. You think you found love, so you're like, I'm good. I don't need this anymore. But if you found the love of Jesus, you found it, but you can't stop wanting more of it. I think prayer is similar. Romans 12. Um, Paul, he says, love must be sincere. This is another part of his, his letter where the passages before, verses 6 through 8, are kind of specific to specific situations. But then he gets to 9, and it's almost like, but these, these are for everybody who's following Jesus. You need to be able to do all these things. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. It's simple. Be devoted to one another in love. 
Honor one another above yourselves. Not easy to do, but simple. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. And then he puts these three together. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. The word here that I think you'll like, faithful in prayer, is the same Greek word as the devoted to prayer that we had earlier. And every time that Greek word comes up, it's not, not always, but every time a word that comes from that Greek root word, it is almost always about prayer. And so even though there's a lot of things that Jesus wants us to be devoted to, like he said, the apostles' teaching, the... At some point in the New Testament, when you see that Greek word devoted, which gets translated faithful to or persistent in, it tends to have prayer around it somewhere. The three directives that we see here, the three commands from verse 12, are interconnected. For hope, endurance, and prayer are all natural partners. Even as we rejoice in hope, gaining confidence from God's promise that we will share the glory of God, We recognize the path to hope is strewn with trials and tribulations. You could argue there is no real choosing hope without tribulations around us. So now we see how hope moves to the need for endurance, and at the same time we realize that our ability to continue to rejoice and to face our struggles is dependent on the degree to which we heed Paul's challenge to persist in prayer. How can we endure in our hope? without the power that comes from prayer. So here is the point. There's one point for this sermon. Devotion to prayer is the lifeblood of Christians, individually and publicly. I said it last week. I'll say it again. All of these commands we often take very personally, but Jesus and God and the New Testament writers, when they say be devoted to prayer, yes, they do mean your personal prayer life, but they mostly mean our prayer life together. And that's something I want you to think about. How often do we pray together? Yes, thankfully Sam led us in prayer earlier and we prayed together. But that doesn't sound a ton like devoted to prayer to me. That sounds like devoted to weekly prayer. And one of the things that I, I wish, I, I've thought a lot about this passage, is I'm preaching this and it's easy for me to say, the lifeblood, what you need to have, foundational. If a coach needs patience, if a nurse needs compassion and problem solving, for us Christians, we need to be prayerful people. That's easy for me to say, but I'll be honest that that is not something I live out in my own life. Of all the things that I do with my job, the easiest one where I could be a really good preacher and no one would have any idea if I'm praying at all. You following me? It would be very easy for me to get up here and prepare, for me to lead, for me to teach class, for me to be in the community, and you won't have any idea if I'm praying. And so guess what? That's typically the thing that drops off the most for all of us, right? The thing that is easiest to go, ah, I wish I did that more. But yet it's, it's clear that it's crucial. It is integral to this. I, I wish that I could say that I've had a meeting with the elders where I said, hey, y'all, What if every Sunday morning at 6 a.m. we had a prayer session from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m.? Most of you would be like, please don't say that, Drew. But isn't that kind of sad that we don't have more of a cultural directive in our hearts that we see from Scripture? Because what we do is we go, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a first century Christian. I'm devoted to prayer every morning. I wake up every night before I go to bed. Every time we eat, I pray. And that's good. But that's not what this is talking about. The Bible is clearly talking about that it is 
devotion. It is intense. It is intentional focus. And it's also pretty clear that it's communal. All those things I just listed are just either you or you and the few people at your dinner table. We need to be praying together. I don't know where this is going to lead. I don't, I, there's not a slide that's about to come up where I'm saying, so after church today, we're going to pray here until midnight. You know, I, there's no slide that says that. But I hope it leads some of us to thinking about how are we praying. One of the things, there's a book that a mentor had me read a while ago. It's by a guy named Tom Rayner. And the book is called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. And what he does is he interviewed a whole lot of churches that had closed their doors. And each chapter is basically like, I interviewed these churches that closed their doors, and I asked them, why do you think your church closed? And he, each chapter is a different theme that he recognized. One of the chapters is, we did not pray together very much. Keep that in mind. I'm not saying we're about to shut our doors. What I'm saying, though, is there is something about we pray not to keep the doors open, but prayer is a sign that we're a church that has the lifeblood of God, and so we're not going to close our doors. Let me just try and say that again. We don't pray... So that we're like, oh, I don't want the doors to close. We pray because it is our lifeblood. And if we have the lifeblood of Jesus in us, the doors won't close. You follow me? Even though Jesus never really cared about us having doors. Um, but that's beside the point. Okay. The last thing I want to say. Oh, this is a quote from Rainer. He says, a failure to pray is tantamount to a failure to breathe. Uh, one other thing I've thought about, and then I'm going to be done. I have a quote that I love that it's, I believe you could totally apply to Christianity, but it's technically not about Jesus. And some people say this isn't even really a quote he said, but it's kind of a, one of those myth quotes. Uh, but Abraham Lincoln has a quote that's attributed to him that he says, give me six hours to chop down a tree. How many of you have heard this before? Give me six hours to chop down a tree, and I will spend the first four hours sharpening the axe. That's a pretty good proverb, right? Give me six hours to sharpen a tree, or cut down a tree. I'll spend the first four sharpening the axe. I believe that we do a whole lot of life thinking, I've got to cut down that tree, and I'm going to pray and sharpen my axe for about three minutes. And then we're really frustrated when it takes us five hours and 57 minutes to cut down the tree, if, or we never get it cut down. And what Jesus would say is, what the, the church would say is, Okay, before you've started that project, before you've counted the cost, before you've committed to that, how much have you saturated this with prayer? Because that's going to sharpen the axe more than anything else is going to. That's going to prepare your heart, your soul, for whatever God has in store for you. I can't tell you the number of retreats, mission trips, summer camps that I have prepared as a youth minister, where when I got there, I could tell you I spent hours on a spreadsheet putting this girl in this cabin and this boy in this cabin and putting, you know, making reservations for the vans and, oh, so many hours. And I spent about this many hours praying for God to move in the hearts and minds of those kids that week. That's not good. So the thing I want to challenge you, the encouragement that I have for you, the commission that I have for you is first, we have to be people that realize in our bones that central to the individual and corporate life of being a Christian is are we praying a lot? Do you have to be good at it? No. Do you have to be really amazing? No. Are you taking the time to do it? One thing that I've thought about doing, not really, but I've flirted with the idea, is one of these lessons coming up here and for my sermon saying, for the next 25 minutes we're going to sit and pray and I go sit down on that chair. If your first thought is, that sounds horrible, that means you probably don't pray a lot. Or you're also like, 
uh, that would be awkward for a lot of us. I, I, I would get it. But that's an example of something that I think, I'm up here preaching on prayer. I'm up here teaching a class on prayer. And it's like what Francis Chan says when he tells his kids, hey, go clean your room. If they responded, okay, we're going to do a Bible study on cleaning our room, he'd be like, uh, that's not what I told you to do. And we do that a lot. We read the Bible and God says, pray continually without ceasing. And we go, okay, let's do a Bible study on what it means to pray without ceasing instead of praying for a long time continually. So that's my first challenge. My second challenge is for you to consider this balance, this thing that is in our hearts where if you think it sounds really dreadful to spend a lot of time in prayer in your day, I would encourage you that as you commit to it, you will find not only that you're being filled in a way that you didn't expect. By the way, not, it's not going to be overnight. Um, it's going to be a long time. And you will find that you wish you had prayed a little bit more. And it will continually happen. You will continually, continually feel filled and you will continually feel called to do it longer and more because of the paradox of praying and love. If any of you have any prayer requests, something that's breaking your heart, some, some health concern, anything that uh, any of us could be praying for you about, our shepherds and elders are going to be standing at the doors. And if any of you would like to talk about anything, I would be more than happy to. But we want to be a church that makes sure that if you have a thought on your mind right now, you don't leave here today without talking with somebody about um, a way that you can uh, learn more about that. And uh, let's, I'd encourage you to do that while we stand and sing this closing song.